What is the state of the mandate? Let's talk about it on this episode of Pushback. If you're concerned about the direction our culture is heading, then maybe it's time to push back. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Pushback. I'm Dr. Johnny, and I do have a lot of ground to cover today, and I want to springboard off of what I talked about last podcast. Uh, But first, I do want to mention that uh, certainly uh, thoughts and prayers going out to those who are in Afghanistan. Uh, I Like I said before, I'm not a foreign policy expert by any means, uh, but uh, my heart certainly goes out to those who are trapped and and the situation that's occurring there. I think it does speak to a bigger uh, cultural issue and maybe political issue that we're seeing uh, in uh, sort of the uh, lack of uh, feeling of exceptionalism uh, that sometimes uh, this administration can demonstrate. It's a policy issue. It's a um, philosophical issue. It's a positional issue uh, that we have as a country. And I think a lot of times a a liberal mindset uh, or a progressive mindset would have one that we are just on a or in a global community, not better, not worse. Uh, And I, I agree with that to an extent, other than our country has been set as a city upon a hill. And it's been set as a country of exceptionalism. And I think that's an okay word. And I think it's actually a biblical word. I think the Lord actually wants to draw us out to be exceptional people. And in that exceptionalism and in that identity of who we are as his kids, then we can transform the world. Joseph is a perfect example of a man who was placed into a very hard, difficult situation. And yet his exceptionalism and who he was as an individual and his identity actually had him rise to the top and transform and save a nation. It was from the place of exceptionalism uh, that this that this occurred. And I, and I believe our country is that. I believe the United States of America has been set apart as one nation under God to be exceptional here on this earth. And when we don't see ourselves that way, then we can find ourselves bowing a knee to other countries and other regimes, which unfortunately feels like what's we're, what we're doing in Afghanistan. I know it's not always that simple. It's not always linear. And there's layers that I don't understand. But I want us to be an exceptional light to the world and to see ourselves that way so that we can move and act and, and, and implement strategy that actually helps transform and save the world. So that's a big thing, (laughs) but a quick comment that I think it's important that we as Americans understand and never apologize for, not in an arrogant way. That's not the role that we play. And I know that sometimes we can come off that way, but we do have resources. We do have a mindset of generosity towards the world. And it's that place, it's that place of democracy and generosity that actually allows us to move into other regions and bring peace, and bring our exceptionalism. 
So I want to talk about a big scary word that's being thrown around a lot right now, which is the word mandate. And obviously this is in reference to vaccine mandates that may or may not be coming very shortly. And I want to just give my perspective and my opinion uh, in regards to mandating uh, some of these aspects. We talked a little bit last week, very briefly, about mask mandates. And I want to talk more specifically about vaccine mandates that are either being proposed or talked about or being discussed on Capitol Hill. I want to go into some legal aspects. I'm going to ask that your eyes don't glaze over. I'm actually going to read something from Constitution Daily uh, that just shows and kind of breaks down a little bit what are the legal ramifications of mandating. And I really can break it down to a couple different things. I think there is a state and local issue versus a federal issue. And of course, today, everything is very federally, um, uh, our mindset is very federally oriented, meaning that everything comes from above, from comes from Washington. And that's actually not how the Founding Fathers envisioned that it would be. Uh, but because of our national news and because of our national attention and because of Washington, D.C., on a second-to-second -second basis being scrutinized uh, and analyzed, uh, that we tend to be very federally oriented. But when it comes to vaccines and the way that we handle, uh, if you want to call them local emergencies, um, that is on a state and local level. And so we have to look at it from that standpoint and what are the legal aspects therein. Uh, but also, um, it has a lot to do with what are optional and non-optional activities. And I'll get to that in just a second. So I'm going to read from the Constitution daily. And it says the COVID-19 Delta variant spread may force federal and state authorities to examine public safety policies related to vaccine requirements. Here is a brief review of the constitutional precedences and laws related to mandates at the federal and state levels. So in general, two key Supreme Court decisions speak to the authority of state and local officials to issue vaccine mandates. So now again, this is state and local. Generally, these decisions concluded that governments may tell people to get vaccines unless they belong to an exempt group or face a penalty. In 1905, the Supreme Court ruled in Jacobson v. Massachusetts that under a state law, local health authorities could compel adults to receive the smallpox vaccine. Henning Jacobson refused a free smallpox vaccination that was mandated by the city of Cambridge. He was fined $5 as a result. Jacobson argued that the vaccination law violated his 14th Amendment due process rights. Justice Marshall Harlan, writing for Court's Majority, concluded that states under the general police powers had the ability to enact vaccine laws to protect citizens. Police powers allow a state to pass laws to protect the health, safety, and general welfare of the public. The second decision, Zucht v. King, in 1922, arrived at a similar conclusion. This is in San Antonio, Texas, uh, excluded students from public and private schools who were not vaccinated for smallpox. This included the challenger in the case, Rosalind Zucht. Her attorneys argued the vaccine policy violated Zucht's 14th Amendment due process rights. Justice Lewis Brandis wrote in this court's decision that long before the suit was instituted, Jacobson versus Massachusetts had settled that it is within the police power of a state to provide for compulsory vaccination. Now, let's fast forward. 
In a recent lawsuit, a federal court declined to grant an injunction against a pu- uh, public university's vaccine mandate. Eight individual, I'm sorry, eight Indiana University students had sued the school over a mandatory vaccine policy that blocked students from registering for class if they were not vaccinated. Under the university policy, students could apply for a medical or religious exemption if they agreed to wear a mask and undergo COVID-19 testing. On August 2, 2021, a federal appeals court upheld a lower court ruling in favor of the university, finding there was not enough evidence that the students' constitutional rights were being violated. The decision may be appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, this article talks about that the federal level, the vaccine mandate question is more complicated. With few exceptions, there are no laws that allow the federal government to issue a vaccine mandate to the general population. Now, again, there are, um, they allow for vaccine exemptions for employees, students under religious beliefs and disabilities under the Americans with Disabilities Act. This allow, uh, the allowance of vaccine exemptions based on religious beliefs in particular will remain an important question as the debate grows over vaccine mandates at the federal and state levels, as well as the private sector. Uh, as of May of 2021, 44 states and the District of Columbia had laws that allowed students to claim a religious exemption to immunizations, while 14 states allowed for phys- philosophical exemptions. So, when we, when we view these issues, uh, there is some obvious legal precedent for state and local authorities to implement a vaccine mandate. It's been done before. It's been done several times since then. Uh, so this is not new. Uh, this is not being imposed uh, from above, uh, but this sh- should and ought to be a state and local issue. Now, when I was looking into some of these things, I I always felt like, um, again, it goes to optional versus non-optional activities. And so certainly has been in the news, and I alluded to this on the last podcast, that uh, several hospitals around the Minnesota area and around the nation have actually mandated vaccines for their employees, um, stating that it's sort of an obvious decision that when we're dealing with medical issues and patients, that protecting Uh, fellow employees and clients becomes the number one priority. And I've said all along, and I will continue to say on every one of my facts about the Vax podcast, that I am not an advocate of mandatory vaccinations. I'm an advocate of informed decisions. And I believe that if people like me or your local doctor or other medical professionals uh, could get together and, and, and agree on this, that we could um, persuade the population to get vaccines as the best course of action for them and their families, as well as our communities. But mandating them um, requires actually a different uh, cultural experience. And that's what we're feeling today. And I believe that's the pushback that we've been feeling uh, for many people regarding this vaccine. And I, and I sympathize with that. Now, I always considered, I've been talking to my wife about this all week, that school feels somewhat like a gray area. Now, why is why are hospitals and businesses, grocery stores, Target, Walmarts, why are they not such a gray area? Well, in my opinion, it's because those, those are optional activities. We are not, uh, we, it's not compulsory that we shop at Walmart. And if we do, Walmart has, I believe, the authority as a privately owned company to mandate uh, masks or mandate vaccinations for their employees. I believe that's true also for hospitals. 
As you may know, hospitals, most hospitals, are not owned by the federal government. They are, are private entities um, and systems and healthcare units that are run privately by their own boards. And they, I believe they have the right to protect their employees and their clients. I believe that they have the right to do that. And of course, the issue then becomes schools. Now, school and attending school is not an optional activity. However, uh, they uh, have the ability to mandate vaccinations. And I would remind you that this is not new. (laughs) Even today, there are several vaccines that are required and mandated for your child to attend public school. So this is not a new finding or a new issue. But sometimes what happens is is that we forget. We forget why we're vaccinating. We forget the purpose of the vaccinations and why people are mandating these. And I believe very strongly that the leadership in this country and even from a local and state level have done a very poor job reminding us why. We need the why. So reading from history.com, let me just refresh your memory. Those who are my older listeners will remember this quite well. Us, I'm grouping myself in the younger listeners. (laughs) We don't remember this stuff. Now we as medical professionals, we we review these things and we research this and we understand the why. But many of us don't remember. On February 23, 1954, a group of children from Arsenal Elementary School in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, received the first injections of the new polio vaccine developed by Dr. Jonas Salk. Though not as devastating as the plague or influenza, poliomyelitis was a highly contagious disease that emerged in terrifying outbreaks and seemed impossible to stop. Attacking the nerve cells and sometimes the central nervous system, polio caused muscle deterioration, paralysis, and even death. Even as medicine vastly improved in the first half of the 20th century in the Western world, polio still struck, affecting mostly children but sometimes adults as well. The most famous victim of the 1921 outbreak in America was future President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, then a young politician. The disease spread quickly, leaving his legs permanently paralyzed. In the late 1940s, the March of Dimes, a grassroots organization founded with President Roosevelt's help to find a way to defend against polio, enlisted Dr. Jonas Salk, head of the Virus Research Lab at the University of Pittsburgh. Salk founded that polio had as many as 125 strains of three basic types and that an effective vaccine needed to combat all three. By growing samples of the polio virus and then deactivating or killing them by adding a chemical called formalin, Salk developed his vaccine, which was able to immunize without infecting the patient. You know, I wonder if today Dr. Jonas Salk would be demonized. What is his motive? Is he a sinister man up in his lair developing some kind of vaccine that would infect the country or track them or cause irreversible consequences and damage. This is the world, the culture that we live in that I'm pushing back against. Dr. Jonas Salk was a hero and a brilliant scientific mind. And that's what history has proven to be true. 
And yet, it seems like any researcher, any doctor today, his motives are questioned. And he is demonized. After mass inoculations began in 1954, everyone marveled at the high success rate, some 60 to 70%. (laughs) That was called high success rate back there, my friends. The vaccine that we're currently dealing with right now has a greater than 90% success rate or efficacy. Until the vaccine caused a sudden outbreak of some 200 cases, after it was determined that the cases were all caused by one faulty batch of the vaccine, production standards were improved, and by August 1955, some 4 million shots had been given. Cases of polio in the U.S. dropped from over 14,000 in 1955 to 5,000 in 1956, and by 1959, some 90 other countries were using Sox vaccine. So they even had a setback. They even had probably those questioning the safety of this vaccine, but they uh, persevered and pursued past this and realized that it was just a bad batch and still understood the importance, even at only 60 to 70% efficacy. A later version of the polio vaccine developed by Albert Sabin used a weakened form of the live virus and was swallowed instead of injected. It was licensed in 1962 and soon became more popular than Salk's vaccine as it was cheaper to make and easier for people to take. There is still no cure for polio once it has been contracted. This is true today. But the use of vaccines has virtually eliminated polio in the United States and around the world. According to the World Health Organization, polio cases have been reduced by 99% and survives only among the world's poorest and most marginalized communities. My friends, this is a history lesson, and we can fast forward to the same conversation today. The only thing that's changed today is the, uh, is the distrust and the circulation of information or misinformation often that happens about the motives of those who are trying to implement this current vaccine. The data is there, and the results will be the same as all other vaccines implemented and even mandated in the past. And we cannot forget. That's the key. I believe the the vacuum that has been created uh, around this particular vaccine is that we have simply forgotten. There, so how do we approach, or what is our, or what is my opinion regarding regarding mandating vaccinations? Again, I'm not a fan. I believe you know. I read uh, last podcast from Frank Herbert, the author of Dune, which I am reading right now. A ruler must learn to persuade. And not compel. You know, when we um, mandate something, I believe that it actually demonstrates poor and weak leadership. See, I always am reminded of like World War II. Pearl Harbor happened and the young men in this country lined up down the streets to enlist. Kids were lying about their age so that they could get into the army to serve their country because they were persuaded it was the right thing to do even unto death. I would like that culture again where we lay down our lives and even our own personal um, protections to serve others. 
Now, I, I don't say personal protections, meaning that we give up our right to our country or to our government. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that we live sacrificially. And part of sometimes taking a vaccine is a sacrificial move to help others and to help our communities. Now, you may argue, you know, COVID is not as devastating to young people like polio was. Now, I would say, sure, that is true. Uh, and COVID tends to be more lethal uh, and uh, um, uh, to the elderly and to those who are immunocompromised and to vo- the vulnerable and, and less dangerous to young people. I agree with that. But it's still very contagious and, and devastating to these vulnerable populations. And schools are principal reservoirs. All of these kids get together and these viruses continue to harbor themselves and continue to stay in the country, in the, the community, which allows those who are elderly and vulnerable and immunocompromised to become susceptible to these outbreaks. So I believe this is my position, and I would love to hear your position by going to pushbackculture.org. Please share your position on this with me. I believe that employers have the right to protect employees and clients. I believe that schools have the right to mandate vaccinations to attend their schools. It's been around forever, and it's still the case with the COVID-19 vaccine. But I do believe that we should be able to persuade and not compel, that people will see that it's the right thing to do. And I believe that we can do that. You know, you can't smoke in public places and in restaurants or in certain workplace environments. So smoking is a right and it's not illegal, but people can mandate that to protect other people, to protect employees and their clients. And so we can mandate things to protect one another. And I believe that is in our right. And I believe that it's morally okay to do. And remember that there are religious and medical exemptions in place, and those should continue in place, even philosophical exemptions. And so if you're sitting here with public school children and you do not have peace about receiving the vaccine, that there would be exemptions in place. I believe they have the right to test you. I believe they have the right to mandate masks to protect other people. I know that's hard to hear and people don't want to hear that, but we have to get through this cycle of craziness. And I believe polio is such a great example of a community that rose up that it was it was compulsory then. And guess what? Polio vaccine is compulsory now. <laughs> it hasn't changed. For your child to go to public school, you still need the polio vaccine. Why? Because we know that it works and it protects our children. And I believe history will say the same about this vaccine. So let's Those of you who are listening to me and are pro-vaccine like I am, let's do a better job reminding people. Let's talk about history. Let's talk about why this is important. Let's persuade and not compel. We don't need to be angry. We don't need to be dishonoring. But we can be persuasive if it's what we believe and we can have a real conversation about this. We need to bring an end to this craziness. And I believe that this vaccine, along with other vaccines in history, is the most effective solution to this end. I really believe that. So thank you again for listening to me this week as we continue to talk about these such important, unprecedented conversations. 
We have never lived in a time such as this, with so much information going back and forth. So thank you for hearing my heart in this, and I would love, love, love to get your feedback. So please go to pushbackculture.org and leave your comment, leave a question, leave an issue that you have with my position or, or my opinion. I would like to hear it. I'd like to share it. I'd like to have a discussion about it. So let's go together now to set and shape the culture.